welcome to Inside Track from Trustonic. This podcast brings together some of the leading minds from the mobile and automotive security industries to really get under the skin of how those worlds have been shaped, what drives them today, and what we can expect in the future. So please take a listen as we go beyond the headlines with the experts and market makers in their field. I'm Andrew Till. I lead the automotive business here at Trustonic, and I'm joined today by Jasmina Omic from Riskior. Jasmina, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I'm Jasmina Omic. I'm a product manager for services at Riskier, a security testing and evaluation laboratory in the Netherlands. Great. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Jasmina. So a couple of months ago, we did a, a webinar on automotive security. And I think it's fair to say we had a tremendous response, both in terms of attendance and questions. But what did become clear through that was some of the, the confusion that exists in the, in the industry around cybersecurity, and, and in particular with regards to some of the new standards coming in and how the industry is responding and how it can adapt in a very positive way uh, to what is happening. So we thought it would be great to spend a little bit of time today as a fireside chat exploring three three major issues. Uh, first of all, the confusion around some of the standards. Secondly, I think something close to both of our hearts, um, you know, how do you treat cybersecurity as an opportunity to create value with your supply chain and with your customers? And then the third element being, you know, how do you test and how do you make sure that once you've done the integration and you have your security framework in place, that you are taking all reasonable steps to, to validate that, to ensure you've got the right mitigations, uh, et cetera. So a lot to a lot of ground to, <laughs> to cover, but I'm sure uh, you know, we'll be able to provide our audience with some, some valuable insights. Yes, so automotive industry takes a lot of time to develop their product. So it, it makes sense to start uh, discussing now uh, as WP29 uh, is out and uh, we are going to actually have some changes in the automotive industry with the type approvals. So I think it's a good moment to start talking about it right now. Absolutely. And, and I think you made a great point. The, the industry does work to fairly long timeframes. So when we look at WP29, um, and we can also throw in ISO 21434 and J3101 uh, as other examples, but when we look at some of these, uh, the introductions, you know, we're talking with WP29 starting to come into force mid next year here in Europe. I'm fully enforced by mid 24, which feels like a long time away, but it's it's less than one development cycle. Yeah, um, indeed. It, it's really going very fast now because whatever is developed at the moment needs to take a WP29 into account. And uh, development process, we know it takes uh, three to four years for EE only. And uh, regulating also your suppliers, which is a big step, and regulating also your internal processes is something that needs to have emphasis right now. Absolutely. And often when I talk to tier ones and OEMs, there's some confusion between the relationship between the different standards. So, so perhaps if we dive, you know, we use that as a natural starting point and just try and demystify you know, why this new body of regulation that is coming? So perhaps if we take a look at WP29, why is there a need for WP29? I would say that the movement of automotive industry from mechanical to software-based and very complex 
software-based systems is actually the reason why um, this is coming into place and also the reason why cybersecurity attacks are on the rise. I mean, we are living in a time where routers are hijacked from home users just to run Bitcoin on them, uh, you know, and it, it is a good moment to start these regulations. It's also following the regulations in European Union, Cybersecurity Act, and it also uh, some of the efforts in the United States, uh, Japan as well, so in, in the Asia as well. It is a good moment to start thinking about cybersecurity now. And it's also um, very nicely built because WP29 might not reference ISO 21434, but it is talking about the same things and in the same way. ISO 21434 is an ISO standard, which means it will help everybody to come to the same conclusions and have the same references and definitely help OEMs to actually work with multiple different countries, but in in the same way, with same requirements, asked from their suppliers, but also delivered to the um, uh, type approval bodies. Absolutely. And I think we could also, if we throw in things like J3101, we would see that as um, from a hardware protected environment, laying some of the foundations that allow you to be compliant with WP29. Sometimes it's an illusion that uh, going to software means that you will only have software attacks. Hardware attacks really play an important role here, and especially in cryptography. And uh, SAE uh, really understands this with this hardware protection security for automotive. It's really going in that direction. So that's also a good movement, something to take into account right now as well. Absolutely. And I think you make a great a great point there. Often the pendulum swings between whether hardware is the most important factor driving an industry or the software, I think what we're really seeing in security is it's the combination of both um, and focusing on both areas at the same time to make sure that one complements the other, not dominates the other, as, uh, as sometimes can be the case. What, what might be interesting, how does that reflect on their working environment and what knowledge might be missing in automotive industry? And as uh, somebody who is uh, practically in automotive industry for a long time, but also um, understands security aspect, what is your viewpoint on uh, the level of automotive industry and security right now? I think, I think just looking back to you know WP29 on, on this point, I think one of the keys is that it harmonizes so many different countries. So you've now got 60 countries covered by common regulation, which I think is a huge step forward in terms of allowing tier ones and OEMs or, or silicon providers to create common strategies for the major global markets that they're, they're serving. I think we've, we've not lacked for cybersecurity regulation, but up till now, a lot of that regulation has existed at a state level. And that has meant that achieving compliance is a very challenging um, issue and quite often, unfortunately, practically results in a minimum level of compliance rather than striving to deliver the most secure solutions possible. So I think that is a is a massive change. I think the next change that we're now seeing, and I'm going to pick on Japan, um, and I could pick on Korea, but I'm, I'm going to pick on Japan. I think we're seeing there that the, the government is very actively involved with the automotive industry to support the rollout of the legislation. They're, they're going very early. They're bringing in compliance requirements this year um, and aiming to give the Japanese OEMs and automotive players you know, a, a head start when it comes to leading the way in automotive cybersecurity. But I think what we can see here is that active role in government working with the the industry is incredibly 
beneficial. And so it's not just bringing in the requirements, but it's proactively working with the, with the players on consultations, understanding what the issues are, understanding how they can provide the best support. And the next part I think is also really important is now you have, uh, if we pick Annex 5, for example, of WP29, we get very specific. We get a set of mitigations that need to be addressed. And, and so instead of a set of general purpose, but sometimes vague or open to misinterpretation set of requirements, we suddenly move to these are the attack vectors. These are the security targets that we are striving to meet. And you can now demonstrate compliance. And again, I think that is a, is a major step forward. It also has the benefit of, for the first time, allowing, I think, the OEMs to, to have a very clear, very concise strategy for their entire supply chain, to work that back all the way through tier ones, tier twos, et cetera, so that everybody in the supply chain not only can say, yes, we understand what we need to do, but for the more complex domains, you can have much more or much closer collaboration. Um, so you really get to this concept of security designed in or designed you know, into the heart of the vehicle from, from the very first you know, architect, I wouldn't even say line of code. It's really the, the first architecture diagrams and concepts um, for next generation model development. So I think we're, we're now seeing that um, while, you know, undoubtedly when you bring in new regulation, it can be a lot of work for the internal teams. But really what this will do is simplify the landscape for what do you have to target as a result of implementing against regulation X. I know that I will be compliant in all of these different markets and I understand what good or better or best is really now going to uh, going to look like. And, and the final bit on that, of course, is the is there is a very strong focus in, in over-the-air software updating and the recognition that, unfortunately, in the world of, of security, it's not a, a steady-state environment. Um, you're, you're effectively in an arms race all the time. And so being able to securely update and have, again, common policies, common frameworks uh, around that, I think, is, is very, very positive for also allowing the industry to come together and share what is the best practice. Um, so also, if, you know, if we, if we look at what happens in, in some of the auto ISAC environments in, uh, in North America and as it's rolling out now in Europe, taking those learnings and, and sharing as an industry and saying it's not about having one safe vehicle on the road or one manufacturer's vehicles all being very safe. It's as an industry about making sure our industry is, uh, is, is safe. Yes, we touch upon a very, very interesting topic and very important point. Safety is already present in automotive industry for many years. There is a clear process. There is clear approach. Uh, security is different. And while the process can be integrated and they can con converge, uh, security means, as you mentioned uh, clearly, constant arm race. It, it means constantly monitoring what's going on. Thread model might, might change over time. And also, it, this will bring OEMs to work with their suppliers much more because uh, the threats need to be addressed at different levels. And the, the type of threats is different from safety because safety uh, deals with hazards and hazards are predictable. It's nature. Nature is relatively predictable compared to human beings. <laughs> They're very unpredictable and they can always think uh, out of the box and find a new way around all the security mechanisms that you placed in. 
So I think that's uh, that's something to really take into account. That's a part of the knowledge that needs to be adopted by uh, the automotive industry and all on the older levels. The good side of that all is that some of the suppliers of automotive industry have experience with security already for other markets. The chipset vendors, uh, they go through payment, they go through different other security evaluations and, and systems, and they know already a bit, but there are also uh, parts of the market that are not really familiar with these differences, or uh, there are a lot of uh, developers and engineers that have a different approach to the whole development process. Yeah, I think that's a great point, because when we look at the development process, we mentioned earlier that for many industries, three years away is a lifetime. In automotive, it, it's it's your next model. Um, so that development time frame is much longer, which means a lot more thought and a lot more preparation has to has to go in. So if you're if you're looking at designing a new, say, um, electrical architecture for the for the vehicle, that may be a four to six year development time frame, and and then an actual new model, you know, can be anywhere between three to four years from drawing board to to rolling out. And we know from other industries that when it comes to cybersecurity, um, you know, you may see three to four major new scenarios developing in that time frame and being launched, of course, not just against the vehicle, but but against the back-end systems or against other devices being brought into the uh, into the vehicle. So the time frames, you know, are a uh, are a major challenge. And this is where I think one of the best practice bits of development that we're also seeing now starting to be embraced and supported through the, the new regulations are the, uh, the cybersecurity management systems so that you can you can take the whole organization on the on the journey and everybody understands when they when they refer to the CSMS exactly what they in their role need to be doing to help drive the uh, the overall security of the, the company and the vehicles uh, etc. Indeed, uh, 21434 really uh, clears this approach. And, and also in appendixes, there, there are uh, descriptions of what a security-aware organization really means and what a security-not-aware uh, organization means. And just sharing this uh, requirement set with your suppliers could really uh, make a big step for the overall security of the uh, product. Now, of course, there's particular requirements that uh, all the OEMs will be developing based on their security architecture. You will have a specific requirements for different components, and then you will share that. But next to that, I think uh, a cybersecurity management system really helps to ensure that the security of all the components is tracked to the organization and, and really supported from different places. So I think the standard developments as well as uh, UN regulations are going in the really right direction right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of the, um, I, I think some of the practical steps, you have a lot of experience here, Jasmine, but what practical things can the OEMs and, and the tier ones do to ensure that they do meet compliance with these new regulations? The, the step number one is really adopting security relevant processes within your organization which means uh, how do you manage information, how do you manage secure development, uh, how are you testing and verifying in different uh, moments of your development. But next to that, uh, of course, you also need to think about asset definitions. What are the assets that you want to protect and what are the threats to those assets? That's part of the process of introducing security in your own organization. But then 
There is also pushing the requirements towards your uh, suppliers. And in my experience in automotive industry, there is already a request for certain security level. Uh, there are regulations and organizations that uh, monitor and track that. But uh, as the automotive industry grows uh, in this cybersecurity direction, it will become a more clear and even more detailed as time goes on. It will go towards the payment industry, which always had to handle the risk and always had to think about security. Automotive is not right there, at least in my experience uh, with automotive industry, but they are going really uh, fast and in really in a good direction. And then after that, you also have to get all the components, check out the integration, perform integration and verification test, and then you actually have your documents ready for type approval. Excellent. Again, one thing I would I would throw in as maybe an, an extra item is to ensure that the, the prevailing mindset around security is not that it is a task to be carried out, yeah. but a, a philosophy that runs through the uh, through the core of the business. And I think that, again, from having worked in other industries, that's where you often see um, the companies with the best track record. They they don't view it as somebody's job. It's viewed as everybody's job on a on a continual basis. And I think that then, similar to how we saw a a change in in the interactions with supply the supply base um, between OEMs and their suppliers four to five years ago to start doing more co design and sharing information earlier. At that point in time, I would say it was it was driven by platforming strategies and the desire to drive cost out of new model development. But I think we will see a similar type of redefinition of that relationship with the supply chain around security where OEMs embrace their uh, their whole supply chain, again, all the way all the way down to the silicon to say, this is what we are striving to achieve with our security architectures. These are the, the major mitigations that we need to have running across the entire vehicle uh, environment. And, and then you know, much, much tighter collaboration around this, uh, around this area uh, over yeah. the next few years. Yeah, and it also extends into new services offered through the vehicles. Uh, it extends to the backend, it extends to the uh, any kind of devices that you might be plugging into your car uh, in order to actually uh, get access to different services. But but maybe that's more of uh, your forte. Uh, what kind of different services uh, will be actually possible with so much connectivity and so much uh, possibility that the car uh, is getting these days? So I think actually that's a really nice um, segue to to the second major area that we saw come up from our, our previous webinar, which is around the area of how do how do vendors extract value from cybersecurity. So rather than it being seen as a cost of doing business, how do you look at it as an enabler of future revenue and, and perhaps a transformative element in your relationship with the vehicle users? Um, because when we look at the services, I would say there is, no, there is no real limit on the services that you can deliver into a vehicle moving forwards. You know, one of the themes that we saw coming out of CES was this idea of the, the types of experiences and engaging solutions will be delivered when you are killing time in the vehicle. Now, this could be waiting outside the school gates to pick up children. It could be in semi-autonomous or full autonomous mode. But there, that opens up a wealth of new, of new services. We're also seeing 
you know, a lot of interest right now in in-vehicle payments and, and having the vehicle be able to store the payment schemes and make payment on behalf of the user without the interaction of a phone and effectively as a card not present style transaction. And again, that that becomes really interesting because when you when you tie that capability into deeper vehicle systems, uh, you start to be able to put together very complicated use case scenarios that for the vehicle occupants, you know, you really simplify life. And so let me give one example. Um, my, my favorite example is if I'm I hate queuing. I'm I'm a Brit, so I should really enjoy queuing, but I <laughs> I really don't like queuing. Um, so when I'm going to a drive-through, rather than having to draw, you know, pull up to the window, deliver my order, wait behind five cars while they all get their orders served, I want to be able to speak to my navigation system, say, I'm feeling a little tired, book me a coffee, and you know, at, at the next drive-through, let's say Starbucks uh, or a Costa Coffee. Um, I just drive through, my car automatically pays, it, it's shared in advance, my order, and I just drive up and collect and carry on my, my journey with a, with a delicious hot uh, coffee um, in the cup holder, not in my hand. <laughs> uh, uh, I think this is where we then start to see with, you know, with, with strong and robust security, you can open up innovation to the outside world. And, you know, that, that allows then, I think, the, the automotive industry not only to, to drive the internal innovation that it's identified and is bringing to market, but to replicate to a large extent what we've seen in the PC and the mobile world, where you start having other companies driving a lot of new revenue streams and a lot of revenue sharing opportunities. Um, but when consumers or vehicle occupants feel that they are adequately protected. So that level of trust is, is there. Um, so so I, I personally believe that as we go through the next couple of years, we'll see cybersecurity become a core part of the, the way in which an OEM defines its relationship with consumers. And if we look at um, sort of similar to what Tesla has done, where it has used software updating uh, you know, often a key part of a company's cybersecurity strategy. But really, rather than ever telling the consumer that I'm patching a, uh, a an identified risk or I'm fixing a bug, they position it as delivering new experience, delivering new value, putting a smile on the face of that vehicle occupant every time they're getting into the uh, to the vehicle. And, and for me, that's one of the, the very strong learnings we can see um, and I think this is going to become more important simply because we we are seeing, you know, attacks in the industry and they are starting to get more coverage, unfortunately. And what we know from, uh, you know, again, other learnings from other industries is that the you will never see a newspaper headline that says, we protected your, your vehicle from attack. It will always be, this happened, it was bad, something was compromised. And therefore, it is very important, I think, for the industry to be able to, to articulate the story of these very advanced steps that are now being taken, the regulation and the processes that are coming into place to ensure digital safety inside the, uh, inside the vehicle. Yeah, indeed, uh, physical safety uh, is going to be uh, more and more in scope through cybersecurity. Physical safety, well, safety in general is an aspect of cybersecurity. And what's uh, happening right now is that 
safety is sometimes colliding with security. And, and you mentioned updates. I mean, that's a very good example. Uh, we should not expect updates to happen during uh, driving. <laughs> so, <laughs> no. <laughs> that's one side. Another side, uh, and an example how safety differs from security is you want to have a backup processes that take care of what's going on. You want to have a rollback option. All these things are a big no-no for security because it enlarges the tax surface as well as the Additional services enlarge the attack surface, but uh, they also bring some learnings and they bring support for security development, I think. Um, yeah, sorry? No, I was, I was absolutely agreeing. I was thinking of the rollback protection. Um, you know, quite often, if a, if a hacker is able to gain access, the first thing they will do is, is roll the system back to an earlier version with more vulnerabilities that have been documented. That's one of the approaches, but there, there are a lot of other aspects that you can uh, play with here, uh, such as secure boot, uh, having the secure boot in, in place, because not having a secure boot in place, for example, could lead to attacker uh, retrieving firmware and actually finding some remote attack possibilities. Not to go too much into details uh, of, of technical side, but this is something that is uh, happening right now as we speak. There are quite a lot of uh, such attacks on infotainment systems. There are also some other aspects of security that you can see that uh, there is a learning curve happening in automotive industry. For example, a source code leaks, which again, it's a leak of IP, but at the same time might uh, help attackers find new vulnerabilities. Yeah, ab absolutely. I, I, I think that, um, we won't name names, but there was quite a, a well-known source code leak a, uh, a few weeks ago and undoubtedly having access to IBI modem code mobile app code, uh, you know, in source form is going to help somebody looking for a vulnerability in, in a system. And I think this is highlighting a, a key issue is that we are, we are now in 2021. The threat against vehicles has clearly moved from the lab to the real world. Um, and if we look over the last year, we've seen ransomware attacks against vehicles. We've seen back-end cloud systems being um, compromised and user data being stolen. Uh, we've seen an, a, a particular increase in attack against PII data. We've seen, unfortunately, uh, flawed implementations of cryptographic algorithms being exploited, and, and you know traditional side channel attacks being being launched against uh, sensitive systems. And so I think this also is you know when we talk about the trust, it's helping consumers understand, but it's also helping the other industries that are going to engage with automotive to have that level of confidence and trust that they can provide the services and their services are going to be protected. And, and that they're, again, if an attack is launched, the right mitigations are in place, not only at the vehicle level, but also in the cloud and the backend systems and the connectivity layers to ensure that, uh, you know, the, these types of issues are identified quickly through the, uh, the network operation or security operation centers. And then the, the full capability of a particular organization is marshaled to, to address and mitigate the, uh, the, the vulnerability. Yeah, indeed, uh, very well said. And if we look at, for example, in the payment industry, what frequently happens, especially with more risk-oriented services, such as uh, mobile payment, there is always the back-end aspect that has to be reviewed and has to be assessed uh, because payments uh, in software and uh, software uh, organized payment systems without hardware support are usually much more vulnerable and, and mitigation techniques against that 
are uh, lying in the back end. So that's a payment industry. But what happened? What is happening in automotive industry? At least that's my impression. There are a lot of uh, backend services provided to the vehicle uh, by the OEM, and uh, all these backend services could lead to personal uh, data leaking out or uh, maybe even some safety issues. And it's not the level of payment industry with the risk right now, but uh, I think uh, what is recognized and realized is that it's going that way. And uh, there is more support and more effort uh, placed into actually introducing the security in OEMs, but that is also followed and supported by the regulations. Absolutely true. And it is quite interesting. Obviously, some of the backend services are today allowing you to, for example, track a vehicle, which is you know, very valuable if, say, you're the parent of a child and you want to make sure your child is safe or they're, in their, they're where they should be. But it's also a very useful tool if you are you know, wanting to steal a vehicle and you want to be able to target where a particular vehicle is going to be at a particular uh, point in time, particularly for higher end and, and luxury vehicles. And we've seen, again, uh, you know, a number of vulnerabilities um, exposed into the industry across multiple different OEMs where vehicles have been sold on, but the, the original owner's details are, or, or the vehicle information is still available to the original owner, I should say, or where, unfortunately, issues on the cloud side have allowed people to gain access and track and monitor the, uh, the location of vehicles. And of course, then you start to see the different types of threats being combined together where, you know, say a man in the middle attack against a vehicle to be able to allow you to track it and, and understand its uh, interaction with the backend service. But also, once you know where that vehicle is going to be, being able to do wireless key range extenders and other types of attacks um, also become of a concern. And, and in particular, you know, another area where we're seeing now the, the move to digital car keys and the, the potential threat of um, not so much within the, uh, uh, the, the secure element when the keys are protected inside the applet, but if they're being exposed to higher level operating systems, uh, what we would traditionally call a normal world, that may well have malware already residing on it. And, and again, just seeing today how many how many attacks are launched against vehicles through, through unsecure phones, where uh, the, the, the phone or the tablet connects to the head unit and then the malware launches itself across that link because it's, it's mainly relying on the, on the normal world environment rather than using a, a, a protected uh, mode for that connection. Yeah, I think what this really speaks to is when we when we look at, you know, again, extracting value from security, it, it requires a system level thinking, but the system goes beyond the vehicle. It goes from the vehicle to the device that is entering into the vehicle and to the cloud where you're connecting. And then if you're within the cloud connected to additional third party services and partner services, um, making sure that that chain of trust is extended all the way through. Um, obviously, a complicated environment. Very complicated environment. Indeed, uh, it's, it's, it's much more complicated than just a computer, phone, or whatever uh, we are accustomed to. It, it in, includes uh, backend, it includes, uh, it includes browser. Yep. Safe browsing is now the question. Uh, good separation of the operating system, as, as you mentioned. Handling of uh, more relevant security uh, activities in trusted uh, environment is an option. This is all happening uh, as we speak. Yeah, that Tesla. Uh, we should not name names, I think, but Tesla was uh, 
having some nice public announcements recently? Yes, around the browser interface, and um, <laughs> unfortunately, um, so I think what, what this does show is if we look at say the the banking world, you know, and and that industry went through a similar kind of transition when it went online, and you know we have seen that through that it went through a number of processes and iterative processes where you used to have pen entry devices, and now it's migrated onto. Um, Phones that are normally using a trusted execution environment to to protect the the, the banking application and offer a much higher grade of, of cybersecurity. Um, but the the positive there is, as people tr- start trusting the bank in the digital world, that does act as an extra layer of value add and lock in around their brand. And I think we will see a very similar development in the in the automotive industry that as consumers start to use the you know the advanced services and they they extend that level of trust to the brand when they look at their next model it's not just about do i like this car do i like the design what what's the engine performance you know does it have enough seats for my family etc cetera, etc cetera. it will be my existing brand has a set of data it understands my driving behavior it's got a set of services with all my service history uh, linked into that, it's able to predict certain needs and requirements and, and make those experiences highly engaging to remove all the friction that is often there today. And that, I believe, will become a very powerful lock-in that it will really make you think twice before you start switching to a new brand of, of vehicle. And of course, increasingly, what that means with, with the structure of the industry today is that you may well have that ability to port your data across a, a range, such as, say, the VW groups or an FCA group or companies like Mercedes and BMW, et cetera, but, but brands that have a, a range of different vehicle models in, uh, within their portfolio. What I believe is, is you know, really going to, to set the foundations for this strong new set of digital revenue streams that the industry is absolutely banking on being delivered over the next uh, four to five years. I, I believe it will go in that direction. I mean, we know what happened with phones. We used to uh, have a, <laughs> a, a quite a different phone in the beginning, but now uh, it has so many services that we use uh, today and a car should uh, not go in any different direction. Plus, on top of that, there is autonomous uh, driving, there are vehicle-to-vehicle communication, and there are other services that are inherently automotive. So yeah, security uh, can be embedded in all of them. And uh, sooner uh, you start, practically you will have less costs and more intelligently you do it, uh, you might have even uh, right benefits from it. Absolutely. And I think as, you, as we, we look out to an autonomous future, I think the work done today in cybersecurity really sets a lot of foundations for who will be successful in the, the autonomous world. If you look at some of the research coming out from companies like JD Powers, for example, it's starting to show a very strong awareness of cybersecurity and the protection provided when people think about buying semi-autonomous and autonomous vehicles. It's already, I think in the latest survey, the number two purchase consideration element. So that, I think, points to this is not a a hypothetical issue. It's a it's an issue that consumers are very familiar with. And I would just sort of make the point that in industries where cybersecurity has 
moved up the agenda and moved up the selection criteria, it never moves down. Once it becomes important, it remains important. And and I think that is something that um, you know I, I would urge everybody to really take to to heart. It's not about dealing with an issue that's the issue of the day, and there will be a different issue of the day tomorrow and the day after. This is this is an issue that is here to to stay in much the same way that when um, you know user interfaces and usability of IVI started to become a priority, it became impossible to go back to bad UI design. People just won't accept it. And I think the same is true with, with cybersecurity, that, that there will be an expectation that once it is understood by consumers in the marketplace um, and, and commercial users as well, that then it will always be a high priority purchase consideration. Yeah, it, it usually just uh, grows. The cybersecurity awareness uh, grows. And uh, after that, of course, the processes follow and everything else. Indeed, in, in all the other markets where uh, cybersecurity uh, appeared as a, as a concern, uh, there is only growth uh, in, in um, what kind of services are available and how you are handling security of those services. And uh, yeah, I see that coming uh, into uh, the automotive industry as well. So I'd like to um, move on to the third area that came up during our webinar, which was really around the how, how to think about testing from a security standpoint and general management of you know designing secure code you know something that is not not often focused on but i think extremely important so perhaps uh, you know you have touched a couple of times on you know the difference between security and and safety and safety is is an area that's given a lot of focus in terms of designing for for safety requirements so perhaps uh, i could ask you just to to touch on uh, some of your key bits of advice when thinking about, you know, how to first of all design securely, and then the the, the appropriate testing approach. Yes, automotive industry is very familiar with the testing, and uh, in terms of safety, uh, that's that's quite a familiar topic for them. Security can follow some of these processes uh, because security by design is uh, something that you start very early on when you start thinking about creating a product. And it follows a V process, which is familiar in the automotive industry. Uh, there is Tara process. So it is known, it is familiar. But there is emphasis on some differences, which uh, if taken into account, will save a lot of money in future for whoever develops with security in mind. And the first one is the process. So in, inside your process, uh, when you're handling safety, you can always uh, think about threats and this is something that stays uh, static and you can reuse it and so on. Uh, in terms of security, you start thinking about threats that are evolving over time. So you have to have parts of the processes that are dealing with these changes and they are taking them into account, which might mean more frequent updates of your software on your car which might mean retesting from this uh, aspect of safety, but also from the aspect of security of your code. Now, the second aspect of security that is different now is uh, composition, because a security threat model is different, and it's also different for different components. But introducing a component into your system might also introduce security vulnerabilities that you have not been thinking about. You know, plugging USB stick, uh, you might you might be thinking, oh, it's all fine. It's only media on it. 
but then uh, you might end up with uh, a routing of your infotainment system or, or situations uh, that are similar. So you need to take uh, composability into account and also good separation of all the components. And finally, what is also very different is testing and validation. Testing, um, there are many different uh, ways of testing. For example, software, there is static analysis, dynamic analysis, fuzzing as well. In all of those aspects, you need to take into account the fact that things are evolving and that uh, whatever you are uh, using as a tool right now needs a human intervention in the sense that it needs to be updated, it needs to be understood. Fuzzing by itself cannot uh, be only done out of the box. It needs to be updated. It needs to be considered. And there is one very important aspect in security testing, and that's the black box uh, type of testing that's testing the overall security of the product, which means that a hacker will not go one by one interface as engineer would go. They will not have this approach. They will look for the lowest hanging fruit. They will go and based on their very, very wide experience in different products as well, uh, they will go for the weakest link and they will find the weakest link by using it not the way it was meant to be used. And this is really a key difference for security and engineering because engineers are expecting, uh, okay, now I made this and it will be used as I ask them to use. Uh, that's not how attackers are using it. So these are the aspects that are different and these are the aspects that might need some training for different uh, automotive industries. And, and which we have quite a lot of experience with uh, working with, with, with vendors that do not have experience and going through our training programs and learning and understanding this and implementing it in the automotive uh, industry within the organization. And I think you, I think you, you touch on a really uh, interesting point on the, on the testing and, and traditional testing, because when you, when you start focusing on, on testing for security and resilience against attack, et cetera, these are different types of test scripts that you need to be running from traditional functional testing and usability testing. So there's also that requirement to look at different tool chains, to think about, you know, how many tests do you run? Do you run those internally? Do you bring in external companies um, to say, do your, your penetration testing? And also, I think then the other side is this is an area where you know, sharing and discussing across the industry becomes incredibly important. That you know, automotive traditionally has been an, an industry where where it's very secretive and people really protect the information. But when we when we look at what it takes to provide this level of security, and particularly when we're talking about across the entire value chain, not just within the vehicle itself, um, you know, I think sharing of identified risks and potential threats becomes incredibly, incredibly important. Yeah, indeed. Uh, what is uh, the biggest difference uh, for, for red teams in organizations and from independent security testing laboratory like we are is that we see many products and we have a lot of experience and uh, security is what we think about all the time. And for OEMs, they need to develop this knowledge within. Uh, usually a red team is developed and um, they are, of course, very capable people and security professionals as well, but they usually have less experience than a professional lab. So in that sense, you are right, uh, going outside for uh, help in terms of security testing is uh, really valuable for, for your uh, development. 
Absolutely. And speaking from experience of obviously working with Riskure to, uh, to test out solutions, I think it also gives you that reassurance as a security provider that you're, uh, you're not, say, drinking your own Kool-Aid, that you, you lapse into believing you're, you're robust and secure because you have been in the past, but it, it forces you to make sure you are staying current, that you're thinking about what are the, what are the new emerging threats, what is, what's the landscape we're dealing with, and how do we remain state-of-the-art when it comes to providing that protection. And I think, you know, when we look at things like the, the evaluation assurance levels, one of the valuable things there is it requires you to really think through your target of evaluation, to think through the, um, the security targets that you're going to test against. And, and again, you create the documentation, you create the test cases. So you create the set of assets that can then be shared either in widely internally or again with your, uh, with your, your core partners and supply chain. To make sure that everybody is is aligned up on the same uh, the same test strategies, the same test harnesses, etc., uh, etc. Et Indeed, uh, you, you mentioned common criteria and evaluation levels here. Um, automotive industry is new to it. I'm, I'm not sure that's the only option for automotive industry that they would like to go into, uh, but it definitely is valuable because uh, it gathered information, data, and and experiences from many different fields. And in that sense, uh, it is helpful. Yeah, there is, a, there is a, for example, for automotive industry, there is a protection profile. And protection profile usually means it's a set of um, uh, what your security target is, what are you targeting to achieve, what are your objectives, and how do you derive from your objectives your security requirements, and how do you derive from these security requirements actually what functionally you will be implementing. So it's a very structured way of thinking. Automotive industry uh, might go in that direction or not. In, in any case, it is a valuable source of information for automotive industry. Absolutely. And I think one of the other bits I would uh, highlight when it comes to thinking about test strategy and what you're trying to achieve is when we look at safety testing and, and the safety standards like 26262, you're, you're often dealing with a scenario where you're saying, if something goes wrong, how do I, how do I manage what has happened? Like if my anti-lock braking system fails. How do I manage that, alert the driver, but still provide them with access to braking systems? When you're dealing with security, you're saying, if this vehicle comes under attack, I want to stop the attack. I don't want to, to sort of degrade performance. I want to make sure that that, that attack is, is stopped. And that may mean, actually, I'm, I'm planning to take systems offline rather than degrade the performance, but still have something available to the, the, the driver or the, uh, the passenger, et cetera. So I think, again, the mindset around what do I expect to happen in the event of an occurrence taking place? Quite often, you know, what we find is people initially start out with a, a safety mindset, and then you have to move them over to a security mindset. Because if, if we deprecate functionality on an API, for example, that may, that may mean that you, you're actually still leaving an attack vector available rather than saying, we are now going to take the modem offline, alert the driver that there's no more connected vehicle services while we reboot the system, reset, et cetera. Um, that may be an extreme case, but you wouldn't, for example, say, we have taken the brakes offline. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it does, it, it does require a, a, a slightly different mindset and approach to the testing strategies because of what you're trying to achieve as an outcome from security versus safety. 
Yeah, indeed, safety and security will have to meet eventually. Sometimes they are confronted and automotive industry will have to find ways around it. But in the end, uh, the automotive product uh, is absolutely needing safety and it's definitely a priority. The, the point is that cybersecurity can impact safety and safety is part of cybersecurity. And although they are uh, contradicting uh, sometimes each other, there are solutions uh, to uh, keep and provide safety while also uh, handling security in a responsible way. So what I'd like to do is thank you again for taking the time to be with us today. I think this has been a, an absolutely absorbing edition of the, uh, the Inside Track. And again, I'd like to thank everybody for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Andrew.